1: www.smallbusinessdigest.net. We've heard a lot these days about lead generation and lead conversion and how how do you uh, get your leads not to abandon you at the cash register. Well, we have someone today who's going to talk to us about it. Chris Lucas is Vice President of Marketing Performs for that, and he's he's going to talk about what they've learned and how we can we being small business people can take advantage of what they've learned. But as usual, we ask Chris to tell us a little bit about himself personally as we welcome him to the program.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the VP of uh, VP of Marketing at Formstack. Um, so Formstack is a Online form provider. We allow small businesses, medium-sized businesses, to uh, help collect data. So whether it's a lead or registration or survey data, we allow them to collect that information via online form, um, and we integrate with kind of third-party systems. And so, uh, I've been at Formstack for nine uh, years. We've been around for ten years as a company. So um, have been fortunate to grow up with the company. Um, really started doing. Uh, the first bit of online marketing for them when we were just kind of uh, rolling out as a product uh, and have now developed a team of over, uh, I think we've got uh, 14, 15 people on a marketing team now. Um, And we do everything kind of customer acquisition from uh, paid traffic, SEO, organic traffic, all of those kind of uh, lead drivers, and then we turn them into uh, customers. So, I uh, have a lot of experience in, in um, developing marketing, online marketing programs, and then uh, uh, developing teams around kind of these online marketing programs.
1: Well, how did uh, you get get to uh, uh, Farmstack? What, what's some of your background?
0: Yeah, so uh, I really – it's funny. I had a, uh, a PR background, so I was actually working in, in technology PR and was working with um, enterprise – b2b customers and trying to get the story about you know kind of interesting new technologies in the business to business space and uh had a background in pr and um happened to meet the founder of formstack um and we just kind of our paths crossed and we started talking about kind of what he was looking for and my next challenge and uh kind of one thing led to another i ended up uh, taking on the job and at the time it was just kind of wearing a lot of different hats i knew a bit of online marketing. Knew, uh, a lot about PR and knew about uh, how do you gain interest from um, kind of an organic standpoint. And so that's kind of where we really started and taught myself a lot of the online marketing um, kind of process, PPC, advertising, banner advertising, SEO, kind of taught myself along the way. And I uh, was fortunate to very, very quickly hire people who were way smarter than I was uh, to get the job done.
1: You know, that seems to be a key. Uh, finding people who are smarter than you. So, uh, to success.
0: That's the best um, way
1: to go. <laughs> now, Chris, t- tell us a little bit about what you you found uh, about this whole area that could help our re uh, um, our listeners. I want to say readers because we also have a online newsletter, but. Uh, t- Tell us some of the things that you, you your team has learned over the years that can can help us
0: yeah so um, you know more specifically we kind of we we've done uh, very recently a kind of a conversion report um, and um, <clears throat> excuse me uh, the the lead capture report kind of talks about um, identifying top problems that marketers face when generating leads and how do we improve kind of lead quality and quantity, right? And I think one of the biggest things that we're kind of finding out is uh, really as online marketers and as we're trying to drive better qualified leads to um, our website and to, um, you know, whether it's a online commerce business or just kind of um, product businesses, I think one of the things that we're, uh, that we uncovered in this lead capture report is that um, really having goals that are aligned with, um, the, the important metrics of the company are often where the initial breakdown is, is because you you have to have an, a good understanding of what is it that you're trying to accomplish in an online marketing standpoint, and that's going to d- determine kind of the big drivers of uh, of your KPIs. And so, if it's lead quality, how do you de- how do you define kind of uh, processes in your business that uh, get better leads, and maybe you have to have less leads. Or if it's lead quantity, if you're judged as a marketer on lead quantity, then how do you drive uh, more leads into the system? Um, and maybe you can sacrifice a little bit of quality. But it's really having a good alignment uh, at the very start. Of what are the important metrics um, uh, for your for your online marketing efforts? And then how do you align campaigns around those things?
1: Well, well give, give us some detail. You've you says. Said the process, but what are some of the things you look for, and in, uh, in these various uh, areas?
0: Yeah, well, so I think one of the things is if you're talking about kind of lead uh, quantity, uh, then it's it's understanding how do we find the traffic, the the channels that are uh, good for driving um, traffic, right? And so a lot of folks um, in our lead capture um, survey that we did. Um, You know, they found that uh, a high volume of leads were coming through just their on-page conversions on their website. 24% of their um, their best generating leads were uh, from a high volume leads was just clicking somebody clicking on their page. Um, Email marketing was the kind of second uh, biggest, with 18% driving the volume, and then pay-per-click advertising was 17%. So it's understanding kind of what what are ways that we can drive traffic if we're looking again if it's volume. Then, you know, email marketing and pay-per-click from a um, paid standpoint, probably, because you can buy as much traffic as you want, right, when you're talking about PPC. Um, So it's finding and understanding those channels that work best for you um, when you're trying to drive a high volume of leads. And then when it's it's driving a a quality metric, um, Mm -hmm. it's understanding what are the the things on page that are going to make people either uh, kind of qualify them or disqualify themselves. And so – um, it's really understanding what what are the things that we can do via an online form or, or page copy that uh, really speaks to that customer that we really want to target, and then uh, disassociate those people that we don't want to target. Right?
1: <clears throat> I see that. Well, uh, going on uh, knowing that, what are some of the tricks to to getting people to the site, to getting them to give you the leads? What have you learned? Your team learned?
0: Yeah, so I think um, you know, from from our perspective, it's it's all about uh, really understanding what is the what's the messaging that you want to lead with. So um, we do a lot of uh, customer interviews and looking at the way that people use our software, um, and then trying to match that messaging up with uh, our landing page copy, right? And so if it's somebody who let's say you use higher education, we have a lot of higher education uh, customers. Um, they really want to understand do do we cut uh, down time on kind of building forms, and uh, do we integrate with the systems that they integrate with? And so on our landing pages, we talk about those types of things. Um, if it's a small business for us that is really, you know, they, most small businesses don't have a website um, or have a web team or a, a, a team of people that can uh, build their websites and build their online forms, and so they want to know how powerful is this, how, is it, how easy uh, is it to use. And can I get in as a small business owner? Can I get in and build a form myself? And so that's the kind of copy that we talk to when we're talking to small businesses on that on that landing page, for instance. Um, and so we try to match that copy along with that landing page copy and speak very specifically to that easy-to-use or that powerful um, uh, kind of keyword or key messaging. So that's, that's what we found is, is if you can identify kind of use cases for your product or what kind of buyer are you trying to
1: Hmm. And that's fascinating. Please continue. Give us some more of, of this type of information. That's what <laughs> that's what we're all interested in.
0: Yeah. Well. So. So. Really. I mean. Buyer. Uh, understanding the buyer is just really understanding who is your who's your key customer, right? And so that I think a lot of time marketers forget to kind of focus in on that because they focus in on what's important to them um, when really you should be focused in what are they, um what are the ways that your buyer um, are, is really going to use your product for? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of what, what's their job to be done, and it, can, you, can your product or service get that job done for them? And if you can speak to that, I think that uh, often helps people kind of connect those two, um, those two dots of, I've got a product to sell, and I've got people that I know want to buy it, but I can't get them to do it. If you can find that, what, their, what their job to be done is, and if you can speak to that job, um, and then from a marketing perspective, I think you can create really compelling uh, messaging and copy and ads and things like that that speak to that. Hmm. It's, just,
1: just so fast, it's just so fascinating what you're talking about. Well, what is the downside? Uh, uh, you know, I often get across, like I just got an email across now that just said, well, uh, that's all well and good. But what are the downsides to some of these things that we're doing?
0: Well, I think from um, when we're talking about driving lots of leads, I think some of the downside is probably um, a bit of the spray and pray method. Um, You know, obviously when we're trying to build audience, um, when we're trying to attract eyeballs, we just kind of assume that we can throw a bunch of stuff out there. And uh, with a more – under, with a more knowledgeable buyer nowadays. Um, I think uh, I read research uh, a while back that said um, 60% of the buying process is done before somebody even hits your website. Um, so what you have is you have a more credible, more knowledgeable buyer. Um, and so there, you know, the days of a salesperson calling you up and saying, hey, I've got this widget, I'd love for you to check it out, and the buyer saying, oh, that's awesome, tell me more about it, is, is really gone because what's happened now is that that power has transformed um, into the customer's hands. And so oftentimes when we're trying to drive quality or quantity of leads and eyeballs and things like that, we often do the spray-of-pray method, um, thinking that we can drive a lot of people to our website. But what we end up driving is is the wrong kind of people to our website. Somebody who's interested in your product or your service um, has probably already done a ton of research, and they understand the ins and outs of who you are, your competitor, and things like that. And so what you really have to do, and that's where I talk about uh, understanding the the job to be done. If you can tie those things together, when you have a more informed buyer, you can create that sale in a a much easier way, in a much faster way. So the downside is is really just uh, attracting the wrong people to your website and and spending the um, spending your valuable time on the wrong customer when if you narrow in on that targeting and get better kind of lead quality, you can uh, really hone in on who it is that you should be selling to.
1: Well, um, is it better to uh, cast a wider net or a more focused net in um, terms of lead
0: generation? Yeah, I think I think, um, I think it, it, again, goes back to kind of aligning goals, right? If you're if you're looking for kind of top of funnel leads and um, if you're looking for – you want to just drive a bunch of people and you want to drive awareness, I think something like a contest is really good because you can drive a lot of eyeballs. balls. Um, But if you have a good kind of process behind that, so you run a contest and you run uh, a contest to your website and you give away an iPad or something or uh, an Apple Watch, right? You're going to get a ton of eyeballs. Um, But it's what do you do with those leads? How do you qualify those at the next step? And so you can either do that in an online way, you can do that with a form, and you can ask some very qualified questions once you've got somebody in. Um, or you can do it with a sales rep. It's kind of, you know, It kind of depends on what you have uh, at your disposal. Um, but I think that there's some, some great ways to drive real top of the lead funnels um, and how you get more volume, right? Um, and then there's some programmatic ways in the back end to drive more quality. And so I think it's, a, it's, it, it's aligning those goals, like I mentioned them very early on. What are your, what are your key metrics? Where do you want to, uh, How do you want those things to align? Um, top of the funnel eyeballs, right? The more eyeballs we can get, the bottom of the funnel and the middle of the funnel. What is that buyer persona? How are we solving that problem? How do we get just those very qualified people at the door? Well,
1: um, the, the, other, the other question I have is on uh, a follow-up. To me, you know, um, I always mention, if you go to an average trade show and you hand out your card a hundred times, you'd be surprised if, if seven people will actually follow up do you do you try to kind of align the follow up with the lead generation?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I think um you know, I think when we're talking about kind of lead follow up um you know, it, it definitely aligns with um that lead generation effort. A lot of we do a lot of content marketing. So in the in the lead capture report that I mentioned that we kind of uh re- released earlier this year. Uh, you know content marketing is still um, still kind of underused I think in our report, it was only six point three percent of the folks were using um, content marketing to drive uh, uh, new leads and so uh, I think what you can do is align so if somebody's coming in on a piece of content that you created um, and they're reading that piece of content. I think you should generate some sort of follow up activity, right? Hey, I saw that you downloaded our ebook or have a sales rep call them, hey. You know, Mark, I saw that you uh, I saw that you read our ebook and did you know this, this and this, and you can kind of follow up based on the content of that um, of that ebook. Now, if it's somebody clicking on your website, um, then you can kind of or if somebody leaves uh, uh, a contact me information or a contact more information uh, off your website. I think you can follow up with that person very specifically in a different way than somebody following up on content, right? So if somebody submits something like at a trade show, on your website that says, I want more information, you should be following up almost instantaneously because they're asking you to reach out to them, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it depends on where they are in that process. If they're downloading some content and just kind of reading it, there's kind of a softer approach. If somebody says, I want more information, there should be a very direct approach and says, hey, what's that information? How do I follow up with you? How can I help solve your problem?
1: Well, um, Is this report available for us to read and for our audience to read?
0: It is, um, and I can – it's uh, formstack.com, and then it's the Lead Capture 2016 report, and I can um, uh, share – we have a very specific link here, formstack.com slash report slash lead-capture 2016, um, but I can definitely share that with you, and you can post that on your site um, or uh, kind of however you communicate with, with your uh, listeners.
1: Oh, can you spell spell out your your what, website again, since this is very much an audio program?
0: Yes, it's www.formstack.com. It's f o r m s t a c k dot com. No,
1: very very important. Uh, we often get emails back from when, when uh, this is not um, uh, brought out. But um, let me ask you another. Uh, Question: While we're on it, um, of all of the of all of the ways that you've seen to generate leads, which way do you recommend uh, seems to work the most effectively?
0: Yeah, um, you know, from from, and again, I'll reference our our lead capture report. Um, the one that we saw the most was just kind of on site. Um, I think what we've seen as a business ourselves is uh, organic traffic. Obviously. Um organic traffic is the hardest um, to generate leads from, um, but uh, it's it's taken us ten years as a company to build our brand and to build um, credible kind of public relations uh, articles and links and uh, content that we've created to drive uh, people back to our website. But I think that's often the best. Um, I think a lot of people want to use content marketing they want to be uh, creators of content, and like I said in our in our report, only six point three percent found that as a uh, as a valuable way to drive leads. Um, <clears throat> but I think content marketing a lot of people are doing it, but a lot of people are doing it wrong They, they look at it from a how do I put some stuff out there and how do i um, uh, how do I put a bunch of content out there versus va- making some very actionable content people that uh, making content that people actually want to use. Um, and I think that's the difference between people who do really good content marketing and drive really good leads off of content versus people who just say they do content marketing.
2: Um, so
0: I would say, you know, finding uh, finding organic traffic, uh, finding really good content marketing. Um, and then uh, I think a lot of people still underestimate the power of email marketing. Um, it was, uh, you know, from our respondents, to 17% of the, uh, of our customers were, or the people that we surveyed were, were using email marketing, and that was um, it's still a huge driver for them. Um, I think a lot of people look at kind of these newer mediums, social, whatever. Um, but email marketing is still a very powerful tool if you do it in the right way. So uh, those are probably three, three things that I would focus on.
1: Um, well, as we close up our, our visit, Chris, what, what – if you had one thing you had to, uh, to tell our audience about uh, lead, lead generation and, and, and changing, what would it be?
0: Yeah, I think um, again, I go back to kind of the simplicity of what are what are the goals that you have for lead generation? Is it is it a volume? Um, is it quantity? Uh, how do you or is it quantity? Is it quality? Uh, how do you define those things as a marketer as a business owner? Um, and then figuring out what are the ways that I can drive uh, different kind of quality of leads or quantity of leads. I think paid, um, paid avenues are really good. You can buy traffic for cheap nowadays, but it's, what's the quality of that traffic going to be? If you, uh, if you really want quantity, you have to invest time in organic uh, marketing and content marketing and social media and email marketing. And those things just take time. So I think it's understanding what are the, what are the main drivers of my business? Um, what are the ways that I want to drive new leads, um, and then understanding what are the ways that I can drive leads and what do I have time for. Um, so I think those are kind of the, the off and over. Everybody wants new leads, right? Um, but you kind of have to understand what is the strategy behind each, uh, each way of generating leads and then figuring out what do, you, what do you have the capacity for.
1: Well, that was really terrific. Chris Lucas, thank you for being with us today. I know I learned a lot, and I hope our audience did as well. Thank you again. And come back again next year and and tell us a little bit more after you had another year of experience. Though With 11 years already, it's it's still a lot.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Donald. I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on.
1: No, we appreciate you you came. Thank you again, and have a good day. All
0: right. Thank you.
1: Our, Our next guest are Stephen Fisher, and I hope i pronounced his name correctly, Janae Duane. Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having us on. Hello? Can you hear? Yeah, we're right here. We're both here. How are you?
1: Good. Um, You're coming in very faintly. Can you speak louder? Sure. Is this better? Um, no, it's uh, you're very low um, oh, for some reason. You, the show itself yeah, is sound, uh, pr- pretty high. Can you hear me?
4: Yeah, you all sound perfect on my phone.
3: Yeah, hmm. uh, do I sound soft, today? No,
4: you sound Well, cool. you you you're coming in low. faint,
3: but we'll, we'll, we'll worry about it uh, on well, our end. Well, let me. Uh, I'll call back on. Uh, I'll call back on another line. I'll call right back in, Janae. You guys can. Um, Give me one sec here, and uh, we just increase increase the volume, and we'll we'll uh, we'll get rolling with the next uh, portion of this show. Can you yeah. hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh yeah, I can hear
1: you great. Oh great.
4: Yeah.
1: Okay, Janae, uh, am I pronouncing the name correctly?
4: It's Janae. Imagine Renee with a J.
1: Hmm. You're coming in extremely faintly. It could oh, be us. Okay. Let's see if we can f- put up the volume somehow. Bear with us a second. Um, oh, hello there.
0: Uh, hello.
1: Seven zero three. This Steve back?
3: Yes, I am, sir. Yes.
1: Hmm. Uh, there's something wrong with our uh, audio today. Uh, you, uh, you two. Um, uh, for our audience, um, uh, setting up this interview has been a very difficult, th- thanks to the fact that my producer is off this week, <laughs> and we're trying to figure out how we can uh, uh, raise the volume. It, it seems very, very low. Can you hear me?
4: Oh, yeah, you're, you're you loud clear. Clear.
1: and clear. Bo- and both of you are coming in very slow. Uh, the studio informed us that they were having difficulty, um, so let me just try to uh, pick it up. But uh, first, uh, Ms. Duane, how do you pronounce your first name? It's such a beautiful name.
4: Thank you. It's uh, Janae, like Renee, but with a J.
1: <laughs> well, um, well, we're going to start, and uh, while our, our people try to figure out uh, what's what's happening. Uh, 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 below. Um, we always ask, uh, uh, you You have a new book, The Startup Equation, which I found fascinating. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll start with you, Stephen. Um, tell us a little bit about your background before we do anything else and talk about the book.
3: Great. Um, would you like Janine, you want to get started? Do you want to do yours or oh, I can do he, mine? He
4: asked, he asked you to start. Yeah, so so this is Don.
3: Um, my background, uh, I started as a um, product designer, um, and I, I do a lot of uh, strategy work. So I came up with the ranks doing uh, technology, and uh, in about uh, 1999, started my first company and helped others, other startups build their, comp- build their products did that for a number of years and then decided I would build my own. And I did a startup in 2004 during, uh, uh we, we call it the you call it recession. Um, and then through that, uh, built a product for the travel industry, private jets, uh, for traveling much like a kayak for private jets. And that allowed, um, me to sell this in 2008 to raise money. And, uh, Lessons learned about uh, exits, which we could get into if you'd like. And then um, I worked uh, with some other companies advising them, and I also did a nonprofit for a number of years. And then uh, went back into uh, just designing and continuing to work with other uh, companies, and that's where where I am today. And uh, my wife and I, um, being Janae, uh, we started a company called The Revolution Factory. And we also have the, uh, an institute that is looking to do strategic initiatives. So right now, our focus on helping startups and our mission, you know, evolved into the book, which, uh, which Janae can talk about, but that is where we are right now, is um, kind of on our, our quest to help a million entrepreneurs with our book. Um,
1: okay. Give us a little bit of your background, Janae, and then then we'll talk about the book. Which uh, yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of a I'm lot having- of books come across my desk, but few as good as this.
4: Oh well, I, I I know I speak for for Steve and myself when I say that we appreciate that. Um, we we yes. put a lot of uh, heart and soul in into uh, into that book. Uh, a little bit about my background. I actually started out as an opera singer, and, um, you know, it's funny how life goes. Our paths are never linear, and so um, when when really it was unsustainable to be an opera singer, I found myself as the uh, CEO by accident of um, a international women's organization called Wild Women Entrepreneurs. It's a company that I started with $100 and grew it to 55 chapters in seven countries in less than nine months and had no idea what I was doing. But um, let's just say that that headed me down the path of, of being an entrepreneur and working with other startups and other entrepreneurs. Uh, from there, I have been working for the past 15 years with um, with startups and small businesses, either um, in a consultancy role or as an advisor or also as an angel investor, so I spend most of my time and then also working um, around curriculum for small business and entrepreneurs. So um, I spend most of my time helping uh, the entrepreneur. Grow and scale their business. And, uh, and I, I love it. And that's one of the reasons why we do have this mission of helping 1 million entrepreneurs worldwide by 2020.
1: Okay. Now tell us about the, um, the, the central premise of your book, The Startup Equation.
4: Sure. So The Startup Equation is a visual guide to starting and growing your business. Um, we know that by 2021, one in six people will be an entrepreneur just by the way that um, – not only the way that work is changing, but also the way that uh, that our lives are changing. And so most people – even if they don't necessarily consider themselves entrepreneurial now, will have to be an entrepreneur by necessity. And so what Steve and I really wanted to do was, um, there was no one-stop shop uh, or one resource that a person could go to, whether or not they were looking to build a franchise or they were looking to build a SaaS platform. There was no one place that they could go to uh, to really start and grow their business or use that to start and grow their business. And so we created the Startup Equation, which is a flexible framework that allows for the individual to plug and play with, um, with different elements. Uh, we have a startup periodic table of elements. And so it takes who you are as an entrepreneur, the path that you want to take with that business, whether or not you want to be a franchisee or if this is a lifestyle business, and helps you to design that business based on who you are and how you want to grow it and scale it. So we do that in a very visual way.
1: Well, you know, uh, an email just came across my desk from a listener just asking a uh, question. Um, Who do you see as a a startup leader? leader? What are some of the traits you you look for and should be um, accentuated in a startup?
4: In a startup Uh, or as a startup founder?
1: um, I I, uh, I, I guess what they mean by that is um, you, you have someone comes and says, I want to start a company. What do you look for and say this person has the uh, ability to lead a startup?
4: Yeah, so I say that, and Steve may feel differently, but I say that some of the things that they absolutely need to have are what we call X Factor. so they need to have passion um, they need to have this drive uh, to actually want to work on this problem um, you know day and night because no matter if you're doesn't matter what type of business you're starting there's hustle around that and that hustle is is real so making sure that you have something that you're really passionate about you um, really solving for is is key i'd also say that um before i hand it over to steve i'd also say that the other thing is around mindset um i find that people are either in the mindset of um scarcity or abundance and when they are thinking that they have a lack of resources um I find that they are less likely to, um, to succeed as, um, as an entrepreneur longer term. So those who can really have um, this mindset of, I might not know where these resources are, but I'm going to figure out how to find them, those are the individuals who, um, who, end, up, or who end up surviving, essentially. Steve, do you have anything to add to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the X Factor is um... – Chapter 17 in our book, it's um, the kind of uh, when you think about those determination, resilience, those things that are kind of built in. I mean, you can learn about them, teach them, but a lot of things are just really innate to to people. And have some people have them, some don't. But, you know, going kind of backwards, we actually, you know, earlier in the book, in Chapter 5, the first thing we ask in terms of the framework of, of the startup equation is the entrepreneur, who you are. Because you know, many people in the discussions of startups talk about you know, the, you know creating the next uh, Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram and these huge you know billion dollar unicorn like companies. But there are those are the oh you know oh one percent of all the startups out there. So there are so many different kinds of companies. There's people that do things on the side, making t-shirts and crafts for Etsy. There are people that are wanting to start their own law practice. After being in, you know, the at a, at a big firm for a while, there are all kinds, and I think that that we really recognize that as making this a, a book for a global audience. That you need to know the type of entrepreneur that you are, and we have categories like the perfectionist, the performer, the romantic. These these categories crossed with the approach, you know, and that to speaking to. If you want to do a franchise, if you have a lifestyle business, if you're trying to build a big-scale company. So I think knowing those things, what you want to do and being realistic with the kind of business you want to build uh, will allow you first to then kind of set the groundwork for the the direction. And then much coming full circle to Janae's point, knowing the things that make you you, you have drive, you have passion, you have determination that kind of bring the whole package forth as an entrepreneur. Oh,
1: Okay. For, for the rest of this time, what are the things you'd like to talk about in, 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 about your, your book and about uh, your experiences?
4: Um, you know, I think, and Steve, I, I'd love for you to chime in, but I think one of the biggest things that I'd love to talk about are around um, failures and how we don't necessarily live in a culture that embraces failure. And what I find myself talking to startups and entrepreneurs about every single day is, listen, you are going to fail every day in some capacity, whether it be big or small. Really, those failures are, are life lessons that we all have and we all need to take in order to move forward. I mean, a failure is going to be a bigger lesson than a success. Um, Because if something's just handed to you, how are you actually going to learn from that? But if you have to stumble and work through obstacles in order to achieve a goal, then you are more likely to figure out uh, things about yourself, but then also what is that pathway either for that company or for that product or that service. So I I really want to say to all your listeners, allow yourself to fail and also force yourself to fail at least uh, five to ten times a day. And make note of when you do fail, because every time you fail, it's going to make those successes even sweeter and will change um, not only who you are, but then also the trajectory of your company. Steve, do you have anything?
3: You know, I, you know, it's a great, great position, Janae. I think the thing that I would like people to understand from, you know, from the book, too, is that it's, it's designed for you no matter where you are along the stage, of thinking about it, doing it, been doing it for a while. And, you know, when it comes to a company, it can just be you. I think the biggest thing that you talk about failure, the biggest thing that I learned too was knowing yourself, knowing what your expertise is, finding the right minimum viable team that can help you do it, whether it be contracted at first or it's full-time staff. Those people will really make the business work or not but those those knowing yourself and knowing what you need is is absolutely critical and you know lastly you can have all the great marketing you can have all the great sales and you can have great design and a great idea but you know when it comes really down to it you have to having that team is building a great culture the culture you know peter drucker says culture each strategy for breakfast others might have different mantras or different approaches to it but I would offer to you on, the, on the, who's listening and who will listen to this post the, uh, post the live show is think about the culture that you want to have. And it's not just about foosball tables and free snacks. It's, it's a, it can be a family type of culture. It can be a high-growth culture. But that will start with you, and it will grow. And when you are able to go on vacation and go away and it, it, the, the culture grows, it will be a company that you can be proud of. Well, you know, that's
1: I like that. Uh, that's wonderful. Uh, I just want to say last week we had on George A. Santino, whose book was uh, Get Back Up, and uh, he talks mm-hmm. about how he learned from um, from all his mistakes and failures. So uh, uh, you, you were right on. And, and about the culture, you're absolutely correct. So please continue. This is a program for you to talk, not me. <laughs>
4: I, I think Steve with, and I like conversations um <laughs> uh, so we I mean yeah. we would love to talk we would love to talk with you um around even pain points that your that your uh listeners have. I know uh other things that we see a lot of is um or what we hear a lot of is well, I can't really do that, I don't have the money. To, um, to start a business or to scale. Uh, this is something I, I hear all the time. And what I'd like to say to listeners is, you know, whether or not you're starting a business or you're growing your existing business, you don't necessarily need money, but you need leverage. And leverage comes in different forms. So really finding uh, ways in which you can partner with individuals. So say that you need to grow your list. You know, who can you – partner with or what companies can you partner with and co-brand stuff so that you're able to grow and have access to their list. Um, If you're just starting out and you don't really have any money but say that you need a website because the website is the new yellow pages, Um, being able to say barter with someone um, who might need your services but maybe they're a web designer, having that conversation and clearly identifying what you can do in exchange for one one another's services is key. Using money as an excuse just doesn't cut it in today's world. So find out what is it that you actually need. Make a list of all those things that you need. And then start asking your inner circle whether or not they know of someone because they might not be able to help you, but – Um, their connections may be able to help you and get them in the habit of reaching out to their connections in order to help you start to figure out how to bridge that gap.
1: Well, you've you've certainly given me at least three or four things to think about, certainly our audience. Well, uh, how do you deal with the fact that um, uh, uh, four out of every five startups in America uh, fail within five years? And how do you deal with that,
4: Steve? You want to take this?
3: Um, that's a great question. You know, I think that many people, many people, come out with the dream, but they are quickly faced with the execution and the reality. And a lot of times, they're undercapitalized. They're under. They underplan um they're they're ill equipped with the, the team or even knowing what who they are when they think they want to build a billion dollar company when really they just they want to make it they want want to have a nice lifestyle to be able to you know take vacations and have a flexible life you know i think that they the failures stem from a number of number of places you I mean, even just you know a bad product um but there's a lot of that it's it's the what Janae mentioned about failure and i'm sure your your uh, your guest last week was you know it's the smaller failure it's, it's lots of small things that you not like fall on your face failure but these lessons and mistakes if you make them fast enough or quick enough and you learn from them they can be uh, they can prevent the, the ultimate fatality so you'll always have businesses fail and that's part of the process. You know, some people are too early to with an idea. Some people are too late and they can't compete. Um, but it is about that proper preparation execution, you know, from a number of places. So I, there's no real silver bullet answer to it. It's, you know, I would say, <laughs> take a look at the startup equation. I mean, because we tried to break down the, the components of, a, of, a building a business, you know, and you look at it, you have the foundational components, which is the entrepreneur, the idea, the product slash solution. And then you have the the experience, which includes the internal, who the team is, the culture, to the external, to the brand, the, you know, the, the, the design, the customer, the overall customer experience,
0: you know.
3: And then the growth part of it, which means, you know, getting more money, raising, you know, getting loans, raising capital, but, but building a sales force, building a marketing campaign, continuing to innovate. You know these things are are critical, and you know you can come at it in different places. So I would offer to people is, you know, try and recognize when the mistake is coming, because a lot of people don't want to acknowledge it, and then it gets they don't acknowledge it, it gets too big, and then ultimately, like you said, it becomes fatal, and they become one of the four, and not the not the not the fifth one.
1: Um, The name of your book is the Startup um, Equation. It's from equivalent. Equation. It's from McGraw-Hill. Uh, where can mm-hmm. people get the book?
4: They can get it on Amazon. Um, it's also within Barnes and Noble and uh, other major uh, book retailers. And, um, you know, if you guys, uh, listeners out there, if you have any questions and you're starting a business or you already have a business, but find that you need more resources or even suggestions feel free to come over to www.startupequation.com and we have a startup launch kit that you can download for free we also have a bunch of uh, resources on the website and um and we'll be soon offering uh an exclusive online community so come on over and we're happy to help you out
1: well i uh it's ironic. I got two books from McGraw Hill and the second one came from Dr. Carmen uh, Simon, who also who's also written a fascinating book. And uh, she's uh, waiting online and uh, if uh, if you have the time, I'd love for you to stay on and listen in and comment um if you see appropriate if you have the time.
4: I'm running a I am in the middle of running an accelerator so Okay. <laughs> um, so I have okay. programming that yeah. I, I have to jump off and, and run today. No, no but problem. I'd love to otherwise. Yeah,
3: I, I, and I do have an interview but I would uh, we'll listen for Carmen's session. I I want to take him her airtime and you know we we heard her book is fantastic and uh, you know we're, your listeners are getting Getting a uh, getting an earful of ex- expertise today as I I listened to your uh, your previous uh, your previous interviews so but uh, yeah I'm sorry we can't we can't stay on but uh, but thank you very much for, for hosting us and, and having us on we, we invite everybody well thank to, you, for, you know, check thank you
1: for your patience when we work through all the technical difficulties <laughs> have a good day and remember the startup equation and we welcome Dr K- uh, Carmen Simon to the program. Hello, how are Bye-bye. you? I, I'm uh, I'm fine. Well, I'm really looking forward to your uh, to your appearance. Um, uh, um, as I say, you have a fascinating book and a fa I, I even titled this program uh, after you, "Getting People to Say Yes," which I found fascinating. But first, will you tell us a little bit about yourself before we do anything else?
2: Yes, yeah, thank you for hosting me, and um, I uh, have been uh, very intrigued by how fallible the human memory is for the past decade, and uh, a few years back, I was very humbled because uh, I conducted the study where I asked people a very simple question, how much would you remember from a 20-slide PowerPoint deck after two days? knowing that each slide had only one message. And uh, out of 1,500 people who participated in my study, they remembered on average four slides, which wasn't so surprising. After all, we realized and we, we know that we don't remember much. But what, uh, what really surprised me was the fact that 500 people, so about a third of my population, remembered zero. In fact, uh, a few wrote back and said, uh, what presentation?
1: <laughs> and
2: um, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was surprising because for all of us in business, at one point or another, we have a message to communicate regardless of the medium, whether it's PowerPoint or blogs or shows like these, and um, we don't step back and realize how very little people retain, if at all, after a few days, weeks, months
1: that that's very true as a as a reporter all my life I've always been surprised uh, of how little people do remember so 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 how do how did that lead you into your book uh and to what you're doing now
2: as a cognitive scientist which is my background, I then became intrigued in What is it really that leads to the formation of memory? What leads to forgetting? And how can we take advantage of some things that we can learn from neuroscience and cognitive psychology that uh, can teach us about the benefits of remembering and the drawbacks of forgetting? And uh, ever since then, I've uh, done a lot more research and uh, compiled a guide that uh, has uh, evidence-based guidelines. And... um, Teach us exactly that. What is it that we can use to influence other people's memory?
1: So, what can we use? <laughs>
2: in the in the book, and I'm so glad that you're looking at it with high regard. I identify 15 variables that we can use to influence other people's memory. You see, so often we are consumed with how to improve our own memory, but what we really should be consumed about is how to influence others. And this is because if you're serious about staying in business, very much like the previous speakers were saying, you have to be on people's minds. And the reason that we must be focused on how to influence other people's memories, because memory is at the root of all decision-making it is a very strong statement and uh, and the premise of the book. And uh, out of the fifteen variables, uh, we can uh, we can pick a few to reflect on if you wish.
1: Yes, give us a couple.
2: So let's um, let's look at a few that would not be too jarring to our audience, but perhaps to offer a twist to what they know intuitively. For example, repetition. We Repetition is the mother of memory. We intuitively know that the more we do things and the more we hear things, uh, we definitely tend to remember them better. But there are some, some things behind repetition that we must ask. For instance, how do we repeat messages without coming across as nagging or annoying? There is a fine line between repetition leading to memory and repetition leading to either boredom or giving up altogether and looking elsewhere. Hmm. And uh, one one of the main reasons behind repeating is the fact that each time we repeat a message, the brain consumes less and less energy to process it. You see, the brain is not like a computer. You hear that metaphor all the time. The brain does one thing and one thing only, which is help you fight to live another day. And in that fight, it consumes a lot of energy, about 20% of your entire body's energy. So, anytime it finds a chance to conserve energy, it will take it. And um, this is why people fall asleep in presentations, for instance. So, repetition gives the brain a pattern. And um, whenever it sees or hears messages um, repetitively, then that means that each time it takes less energy to, to process. I'm saying this because even though a lot of communicators out there intuitively know that repetition leads to memory, they don't do it. And I, I suspect that the reason we are shy in repeating our messages is because we feel that we should impress an audience with novelty with every single unforgiving minute that we are given of, of their attention. So repeat, first of all. And uh, when you do repeat... Allow the brain to establish a pattern. And after the brain has had the chance to establish a pattern, it takes an exposure of at least three instances in order to detect the pattern. Then provide a, a minor twist so that you can uh, give the brain something that it finds familiar, but also something that it finds surprising so that it doesn't get habituated uh, too often. Um, can you give me an example from your own situation, for instance, where you've been to familiar places or you've read familiar things, but suddenly something took you by surprise?
1: No, I'm sorry. Say that again. I, I didn't hear it clearly.
2: I was uh, I was asking if you can think of your own examples of where you may have been exposed to something that was fairly familiar, yet after a while something took you by surprise.
1: Well, uh, yes, well, I'll, I'll give you one that just happened yesterday, uh, uh, um, which surprised me. Um, I, I took a very famous picture when, when I was a young man uh, for, of all things, the Enquirer, uh, uh, the National Enquirer magazine. <laughs> and I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and he remembered that picture. He said, you took that picture and I said, yes, I did. He said, I cannot believe that. Uh, I mean, now, that, I took that picture over 50 years ago, and he, he was a young man at the time, as I was, and he remembered that picture. Um, um, I don't know if that comes, uh, comes into the picture, but the other one I think about is uh, people still remember the spicy meatball commer- uh, commercial for Alka-Seltzer. Um, which also happened to come up yesterday. I don't know if those are good examples to give you.
2: (laughs) They might be good starting points. So imagine if we are thinking about the publication like the Inquirer, we're already familiar with what that publication has to offer and with the type of pictures that it includes. And that familiarity, in order for it to not be boring after a while or not be predictable, has to be broken in some way. So imagine if all of a sudden instead of um, showing shocking pictures, you actually showed one picture that was pretty normal. That would be breaking a pattern that the, the brain has been uh, habituated to. So the lesson for all of our listeners is to allow the brain first to detect a pattern and to enjoy that familiarity and at some point break the pattern slightly so that it gives the brain something that it expects and something that it does not expect.
1: That's profound. Well, before we go further, the name of your book again, and where people can get it.
2: The name of the book is Impossible to Ignore, and uh, they can get it on uh, Amazon. They can get it on uh, the Barnes and Noble website, or even at the stores, or anywhere else that uh, books are sold. I'm being told.
1: So, uh, sorry to break the concentration, but I want to get that in. So you're in effect saying. I- it- uh, the the way to do it is if people see something familiar and then you break the pa- pattern uh, some way then you end up with a um, a, a, a more forceful memory. I, am I hearing that correctly?
2: Exactly, exactly. So first you have to give the brain something that it expects because it doesn't pro- it doesn't take so much energy to process that message. And these days, one of the main reasons why people forget is because they don't pay attention to begin with, and sometimes paying effortful attention takes some some energy, some cognitive energy, which we don't always have the luxury of uh, of having. So that's why whenever you have this powerful combination of something that the brain finds familiar and something that is a slight element of surprise, you get attention. Therefore, you get um, another chance at um, at memory. Take, for instance, an ad. Um, I'm reminded of an ad that was uh, developed by the um, Worldwide Fund for Nature. And um, it showed um, two contrasting pictures. One was uh, a picture of just imagine the surface of the ocean. And right at the surface, you can see the upper part of a shark's fin. So you know that the shark is under there. So the fin is very visible. And that picture is labeled Horrifying. Horrifying. And right next to it is the same picture of the ocean, still water, but this time where you're expecting to see the fin, you don't. And that picture is labeled more horrifying. And their message was that exploiting the ecosystem endangers human lives. So the more we kill our wildlife, the more in danger we are. And see, when you show a picture and you've already given the brain the uh, unexpected symbol, such as we could see the uh, the shark, and then you're taking that away, so it's an element of surprise. It's no longer there. And the labels are contrasting as well. Now you have immediate attention. You've given something that's expected, but you're also given the brain something that is not. And that's a powerful combination for memory.
1: That is a power. Um, in the few minutes that we have remaining, what would be the... T- uh, small businesses, how can they apply some of your principles to their own efforts?
2: The, uh, the book comes with a checklist. So as I was speaking about the 15 variables and the repetition is only one of the 15, uh, the book has a checklist that enables you to use any or all of these variables in uh, your communication. From my research, I discovered that in any communication segment that you have, perhaps a presentation that's formal, or a blog, or marketing campaign, a sales pitch, you don't need to use all 15. Even a combination of seven of them is sufficient in order to lead to long-term memories. So variables such as emotion, distinctiveness, sensory details like for instance painting a very vivid picture in your audience's mind um, social aspects in the sense of having messages that other people find uh, exciting to repeat to their own audiences because that would put them in a good light and give them a sense of, a, of a, um, social currency. So those are some of the elements of surprise which we've been talking about. Those are some elements that uh, people find easy to combine and um, hearing that you don't have to use all 15, um, half of plus one is uh, is good enough, That uh, that makes the job a lot easier.
1: Um, but, uh, um I, I I'm literally speechless because you you've, you've given me so much to think about. I hope our audience feels the same way, because you're in effect saying there there are ways that that uh, all of us can make people remember.
2: Absolutely, and um, the more that you are aware of those ways, and the more that you are in control of what people take away the longer you are in, uh, in business. So keep this in mind. Memory is at the root of all decision-making. If you investigate any decisions, small or large, that you make in your private life, you will realize that at the basis of all of them is some memory that somehow got there, whether it got there genetically or whether it got there by habit, and that means repeated exposure to things, or whether it got there because you actively pursued it. That memory is there in some way. And in the same way, you can then put memories into other people's minds that serve you and them very well.
1: Well, uh, uh, a question came to mind. Uh, uh, I don't know if it fits into your work, but uh, uh, there seems to be people who are perpetually unhappy and and people who are perpetually confident and, and happy. Is, the, is that in, in part shaped by their memories or and the ways of breaking that? Uh, do you delve into that at all?
2: Um, absolutely. There is a, you, you made a very insightful remark. Um, all of our actions and all of our cognition is shaped by our memories. So therefore, if you are perpetually unhappy, that means you're practicing constantly a script that uh, leads you there. And that is essentially based on a memory that you will put into application every day, every day, every day, uh, in and out. And in order to to change that, that means you have to form new memories and create a new script. It's, uh, of course, easy for us to say this in words, a little bit harder to put into practice, but not impossible now that you have this knowledge. So as you're Exhibiting certain things and you're pursuing certain actions. Step back and think: What memories am I following right now? And uh, if you change your memories, you can change your life. Uh,
1: well, I would think so. Uh, is is that something that the uh, professionals are pursuing? Because I notice that okay. some people that always bring up unpleasant memories, and there are other people that bring up pleasant memories. You just wonder <laughs> if there's some, some sort of correlation. And there if I'm hearing is. you right, you're saying yes.
2: Oh, there definitely is, because whatever the brain decides to do next or whatever it decides to go next is uh, is based on the memory that fuels that action. And um, there are three ways in which we decide what to do next. One is is uh, reflexive, so it's, um, it's a given. It's it's biologically ingrained, and uh, another one is habitual, and another one is Mm goal-oriented. Reflexes and habits, when it comes to decision-making and memories, take a lot less cognitive energy than do goal-oriented decisions. So this is why it's harder for some people to change, just because they don't have enough cognitive energy to think about what they're doing, and they're simply following ingrained habits that they have built for so long. And uh, like I said, it's it's not impossible. It just takes that extra cognitive energy. Sometimes you find that from within, and sometimes you find that from external help.
1: Well, Dr. Simon, uh, you have to come back on our program and talk more. You have a fascinating uh, subject, and I I hope you'll come back in the near future and give give us some more insights.
2: Absolutely. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, and um, I look forward to joining you again. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening.
1: But first, tell the fellow listeners your book again.
2: The book is impossible to ignore. You can um, find it on Amazon. You can find it on uh, Barnes & Noble, the McGraw-Hill website as well. And um, it will be a delight to to hear from you if you read it and use the principles because uh, in order to have longevity in any kind of business, you have got to learn how to stay on people's minds.
1: Yes. Thank you again. And have a good day.
2: Thank you so much. You too. You too.
1: Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at